What I do want to say is, as that takes place, that what we've just done in greeting one another is essential to our faith. Remember, in creation, God said it is not good for the man to be alone. Let us make man in our image, and that was community. Um, before I go further, let me open in prayer. Father, we do thank you for the grace that we have already experienced in this service, the ability to hear and pray, recognizing your presence, that you are with us, to recognize in the seasons of Advent that you are Emmanuel, God who is with us. That is essential to who you are. Recognizing that we are us, not me and them, but us. And I pray that as we think about how to communicate, that we would recognize that communication is essentially us. And that it is only important because there is us, we. And so I pray this morning that we would not be thinking about skill and how I can blossom, but that we would be thinking about community, body, experiencing the kingdom, and enjoying the presence of God. Please sanctify us, grow us, equip us for kingdom and a taste of eternity. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Let me read the passage. And then I want to speak to us. We're looking at James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You might expect a Christmas sermon thinking that this is the second Sunday of Advent, but unfortunately for you, Alan had to go, and in order to go without being caught, he needed to leave earlier. So he came to me last week and said, could you preach this coming week? And the last time that I preached for Alan, I preached part one of a two-part sermon. So before those of you who heard that message can completely forget what I said, 
I wanted to finish the sermon. So we're looking again at James chapter 1. But I think it is, in all honesty, an Advent sermon. Because what we're looking at might come across as a how-to message. We might be thinking that this is a how do I speak? How do I listen? How do I encounter and relate to others? But this is essentially kingdom. We will not understand what James is saying if we think about me. I don't usually talk to myself too much. Talking is essentially a relational, a communal activity. The problem for us is because we so frequently tend to think about me and maybe think about us, we lose the context from which James is speaking. This is essentially communal. We are image bearers who stand confidently before God regardless of our circumstances. When I first preached this, I talked about we do not need to use other image bearers as objects, but I want to go further than that. We cannot use other image bearers as objects without damaging ourselves and them. We exist as a community to experience reality together, to blossom together before the face of God. We have to recognize that we do not exist alone. Too much today we are experiencing, if not acting, individuals living as if they're alone. We're a community. We exist as a community for sanctification. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Two are better than one, for they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who is alone and does not have another who will lift them up. God is working in community to change our hearts. And I want us to recognize that communication, both listening and speaking, is a reflection of our hearts. As we reflect on the state of our hearts, God is active at work to accomplish his righteousness in us. So last time I preached, we talked about listen, be quick to listen. And I want to make just two points to remind us of what I said in that. One is that we are called to work at listening. In Proverbs, we read a number of ideas in chapter 18 about communication. Proverbs chapter, whoever isolates himself, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, 
but only in expressing his opinion. There's community in communication. Verse 4, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Verses 6 to 7, a fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Verse 13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. 17, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. And then verse 23, the poor use entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. We are called by the gospel, which James is making clear to us, we are called to work at listening. I use the term actively patient. It's, it's a labor of love. It is an effort. What I'm prone to do is listen for what I expect. You'll, you, you'll typically hear what you expect to hear. But if I hear what I'm expecting, the other will say, I am in danger of disrespecting them. Because it is way too easy for me to fill in the blanks. It is way too easy for me to give a filter of interpretation and not to hear the other. Because the other is an image bearer, they deserve to be heard. And that means I have to put the work into listening to what they say. Simply stated, they are worth the time. You are worth the time for me to listen. The second point I want to make about listening is the impact judgment has in interfering with the ability to listen. We're going to talk more as we speak about speaking, but one of the dangers in listening is the presence of assumptions. My assumptions filter and shape what I'm capable of hearing. I want us to think about the question, am I listening for everything that is communicated or am I listening to check off the boxes? Am I hearing or am I expecting? The second question I want us to think about is what do I not know? Because that helps us to move from checking boxes. Did they say this? Yes. Did they say this? No. Did they say this? Yes. Okay, I understand. What do I not know? How do I listen fully before I begin to interpret? But the question then becomes, after I've listened, now that I've heard what next? Well, I act. What I hear is not for information. It is for living. So I act. What can I do about what I've just learned? 
Jamie did a favor to us all. She spoke of the needs she knows, and we have the opportunity in learning about those needs now to act. Not simply to say, wow, I'm going to pray for those people, or wow, I hope they have a good Christmas. It's an opportunity for us to say, what is God calling me to do? What does integrity look like? How do I recognize that there is an us and needs exist? Now I have the opportunity to act. So the first action I take is to value and care for the other. In our culture right now, that's becoming more and more difficult because we tend to think of the growing distance between us and them. We are more divided today than I can recall since the Vietnam protests. We are divided. It is incredibly easy for us to think about them. Brothers and sisters, there is no them. Image bearers are image bearers. No matter what they believe, no matter what they say, by the very creative act of God, they are image bearers. We divide. We distance. We care for our tribe. However we define our tribe. This passage, listening, speaking, anger, is all about community. It's all about us. There is no me in this, and there is no them in this. There is us. And that can be uncomfortable. I like me. And granted, there is enough of a me in this us that I need to act. I can't wait for others to act on my behalf. And there is enough of me in this that I have to listen to what I feel. I have to listen to myself as well as the other. Because if I don't know where I am, I don't know how to connect. And connection is the key. But part of what I do in my acting also is to speak. And I want, I want to draw attention to this because we might think that speaking is what I do with my words. Our actions speak loudly. Our lack of actions speak loudly. They can be deafening. The most important thing our speaking communicates is the state of our heart. And honestly, when James is talking, he's not trying to say, I want to help you with skills. He's saying, I want you to see the impact of the gospel on the heart of a believer. He wants you to be able to see your heart and he wants you to see the other's heart. Simply stated, we're not looking at how to develop the skill of speaking well. Wow. 
If I'm focusing on how I can speak better, I'm actually dividing myself from others. I'm breaking community. Because I'm not looking at how to relate in a community. I'm looking at how do I stand out? How do I succeed? How do I prosper? How am I better? Instead of caring for the community and being able to relate with integrity and honesty and humility, I'm looking to benefit. But as we look at the state of our heart, and again, Luke 6, 45, out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we, we don't want to understand that to be a communication issue. That is a diagnostic. Because again, my actions are my speech. My actions reveal my heart. My words are a part of my actions. But I do want to get to some things today that can help us to diagnose our hearts. What am I trying to accomplish in my speech? I need to step back. I need to speak slowly because I have to understand who I am. I have to understand what I'm trying to accomplish. I have to understand the work that God is doing in revealing the community and the state of my heart to me as a part of the community in order to build the community. I'm responsible before God to grow in Christ-likeness. I'm not responsible for your growth in Christ-likeness other than by invitation and engagement. But I am responsible to grow in my Christ-likeness. So this is another place where me kind of sticks out. But it's about growth, not about success. It's about seeing and not just speaking. Does my speech reflect a heart that desires righteousness? Again, for the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. This is about growing in grace that I might bring honor and glory to God. Does my speech reflect a heart that desires to understand? Or, which is more true in my experience, does my heart reflect does my speech reflect a heart that desires to persuade? I love to get my way. Ask my kids, ask my wife, ask my mom. I love to get my way. God is constantly at work to show me the sinful desires of my heart. And he uses you, as well as scripture, as well as the spirit, to show me that. Let me get really particular. One of the things that I try to work with the people in my ministry to deal with is I messages and you messages. I'm going to get down into the details. When you speak, 
It may immediately make you think that it's selfish to talk in iMessages, but that's not true. It is an act of power and aggression to speak in you messages. Let me give you some examples. You don't love me. What's your first response when you hear that statement? What's happening inside of you when someone that you love tells you, you don't love me? Now, it could be a four-year-old who says, you're not getting me a game system. You don't love me. But it might be a spouse speaking in anger in the midst of a conflict when something has ruptured fellowship and the launch of that grenade is, you don't love me. How does it feel different to hear when you say those things, I don't feel loved? How does it feel to hear the message I'm getting from you is anger and distress and distance? How do you like to hear, you just said, as opposed to, I'm hearing? There is a power because there is a judgment, there is a conclusion, there is a statement that I know you well enough to tell you who you are, and I don't have to ask. It's the antithesis of listening but it's how we speak. And it's incredibly subtle. As I work with people to move from you messages to I messages, I'm, I'm constantly hearing you messages in the cloak of an I message. And the way that I want you to work on this with people who are close to you isn't to try and diagnose what you're saying, because that just doesn't work. I want you to be able in gentleness and in compassion and in engagement to tell the other what you hear. You know better than the other whether or not you're hearing a you message. Give them the gift of hearing an iMessage from you that talks about what you hear from them. Because you want to build community. You want to reconnect. And in those moments when you're feeling attacked, I understand that the last thing in the world you want to do is connect. You want to raise the walls. You want to hide. You want to duck. You want to disengage. We're going to get to that in a minute when we talk about anger. But you give the gift of community, and you reflect Christ when you speak in our messages, and you help the other to hear what you hear. This is one of those times where I wish this was a seminar, because I really feel the need to engage with you and to hear what you're hearing to be able to know whether I'm getting the message across. But it's a sermon. So I guess I'll say this. You have freedom to reach out to me. You have fellowship time to start the process. 
But if you have questions or if you think, wait a minute, time out, I don't understand, reach out. Build community. And you don't have to reach out just with me. You're welcome to discuss everything I'm saying because I want you to be like the Bereans. In Acts 17.11, Luke is speaking about two different groups of Christians, the Bereans and the Thessalonians. And he says, now these, the Bereans, are more noble-minded than the Thessalonians for they listen, they listen with great eagerness, examining the scripture daily to see if these things are so. Take everything you hear to Scripture. Take what you hear and what you think Scripture is saying to community and fellowship because that fellowship will enrich your understanding. But since I'm the one speaking, you're welcome to come and ask me questions. Speak of your experiences. Speak about what you hear, don't speak of assumptions. Well, this is what you mean. This is what you said. This is what you're feeling. This is what you're trying to do. Those are arrogant assumptions and acts of power you don't have the right to state. They're a great place. Assumptions are a great place from which to develop questions. This is what I'm hearing. This is the way that I'm understanding it. Is that what you mean? But they're a lousy place to come to conclusions. I know. 99 times you've done this and it meant that. This time it means that. It may not. You can say it seems really familiar and you think we've been down this road before. What's going on? Questions are a dialogue. I'm inviting your interaction. Part of what's difficult here is it's a monologue. And the very nature of the vehicle in which I'm trying to communicate hinders my opportunity to be able to interact with you. But there's a reason for that. In the sermon, we're going to the word that God has given us and we're proclaiming to the body the truths God has given. It's a place of tremendous fear for the preacher because now I'm actually going against what this passage is saying. I'm not listening other than by watching your responses. Don't let this service be the last engagement you have with these truths because I need you to interact. I need to hear what you heard. I need to know whether there has to be a revised addition to the sermon. Not that I get a third chance. But this is a communication because we are a community and the gospel is at work to sanctify us. One of the things that I try to help people I work with to understand is that when we give short answers... We might be protecting ourselves. Lord, do you want to go with me to the store? No. Okay, I got one data point. The answer is no. I've got 360 degrees by 360 degrees that I can take that one very short answer and interpret it. Now, Laura and I have been married for a number of years, so I have probably a pretty accurate gauge where on that sphere to focus, 
but unless I ask her why, all I know is the answer is no. Because of my sinful, fallen nature, I am prone to go to the place that would hurt the most and believe that that's the reason for her answer so I can protect myself against damage. Or I can ask. I can engage in dialogue. Communication is essentially relationship. Relationship can run the gamut from power and oppression and dominance to partnership. We're called to community. We're called to partnership. We're called to build the kingdom of God. And in that process, God uses the others in my life and in your life to sanctify us. James also talks about anger. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why does he include anger in listening and speaking? I think because anger is an attempt to escape pain. For us, there is a difficulty here because there is a righteous anger and an unrighteous anger. I think in human terms, anger is more often than not unrighteous. And anger is more often than not focused on escaping the experience of pain or fear. And so I'm going to focus this comment of slow to anger on the dangerous anger that we experience frequently. Anger is an attempt to escape the pain I feel instead of focusing on changing the cause of the negative circumstances. So when Jesus is righteously angry, and there's a lot of reasons to be righteously angry, but what Jesus uniformly does in his righteous anger is address the problem. Jesus does not go off in a hissy fit to protect himself from the pain he's experiencing. Jesus deals with the source of the pain. He cleanses the temple because the temple has been taken from being a place of worship to being a place where Gentiles cannot come because the Jews are doing business where the Gentiles have been invited. He's not saying, I'm really upset, you guys are doing it wrong, this is horrible, I'm going to go home and forget about you. He cleanses the temple to provide the place for the Gentiles to worship. For us, there's a distinction, and I want us to recognize that distinction in this very clear way. Am I escaping the consequences I don't want? Am I escaping pain or fear? Am I inflicting pain on others not to feel the pain myself? Or am I looking at the problem and doing something about it? The anger that James is talking about is the anger of escaping pain. It is the dissociation. It is the payback. It is the isolation. Remember, in Proverbs 18, the first verse we read talked about the fool isolating themselves, breaking community. In our anger, 
we might be able to do a righteous work if we deal with the circumstances, if we fix the problem. But an anger that's designed for me not to hurt, which typically comes in three forms. It comes in rage. The way I describe it is I step on a nail, what do I do? Do I sit down and look at my foot and think about, oh my goodness, this is bad, I need to get it out, I need to cleanse it, I need to take care of it? Or do I get angry? Do I yell? Do I hop on the other foot? Do I blame whoever left that board out? Because I'm not trying to think of my foot. I'm trying to escape the pain. It could be revenge. In the case of revenge, pain isn't really pain. It's fuel. It becomes somewhat sweet. You don't know what I'm going to do. But I'm really kind of enjoying the way I feel because of the wounds you've inflicted because it's coming back on you. For those of you old-timers, it's the story of Khan on the deck of the Enterprise as he's speaking to the people from Botany Bay talking about, like the old Klingon proverb says, revenge is a dish best served cold. I'm going to get you. I'm not hurt. I'm not upset. You might not even think I'm angry, but I'm going to get you. And I hate you. Anger. The third, more polite form of anger that we deal with is withdrawal. You might think in order to have three R's, rage, revenge, and retreat. But it's not retreat, it's withdrawal. It's selfish. And in that withdrawal, the fundamental message is if I have to hurt to be close to you, you're dead. You don't exist. You can't possibly get in to do damage and hurt me. You don't matter enough. It's all about me. Again, that violation of community that is essential to this passage. So in conclusion, because I want to get to the table that gives us the grace to listen quickly, to speak slowly, and to anger well. Am I doing something about the circumstances creating the pain, or am I escaping my experience of pain? Is my focus on God and his kingdom, or on me and my well-being? Am I breaking community? Do I recognize that ultimately my good, God's glory, are essentially connected to others and not just to me? Am I acting on the basis of the gospel at work in me and recognizing my context of community? Is the gospel shaping my life and my understanding? Is my response partnering with God's work? Do I make Jesus smile? Let's pray. Father, we recognize how much we need this table. 
We recognize how much we need the coming of Christ to accomplish redemption. We recognize we need the Holy Spirit to transform and to sanctify us. We need each other because we can't see our blind spots. We don't know where our interpretations are wrong. We don't know where we're acting in sin without the Spirit's conviction and the words of fellowship. And so I pray, Lord, that you would make us a community that thinks not just of this community, not just of the people represented here as we worship this morning, but the community, the true community, the gospel community to which we belong. I pray, Lord, that as we interact with those who don't believe in Jesus, that you would give us compassion to understand they are image bearers and they are part of us. Protect us from that false understanding that says that those outside of faith are outside of me. Lord, you have created humanity, and until you take your people home, everyone we interact with, is part of us. Whatever their belief, whatever their identity, whatever their differences, they are part of us. And help us, Lord Jesus, to bring the gospel to bear in each of those interactions. I pray, Lord, that you would work to build more than we can imagine and that you would communicate to us your pleasure in our growth. Lord, help us to be characterized by what Jesus said the night that he was betrayed. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In his name we pray. Amen.